How are we supposed to handle this? What does this look like? Proverbs 21, first verse, verse 23. Proverbs 21, 23. Whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. How true is that? Whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. How often has your words got you into trouble? How often have you seen somebody at work, at home, or school? Their words got them in trouble. When we watch what we say, it keeps our soul from trouble. Now, the other side to that is Proverbs 18.6. Proverbs 18.6. Reading this out of the New Living Translation. Fools' words get them into constant quarrels. They are asking for a beating. Fools' words get them into constant quarrels. They are asking for a beating. How often does somebody's words just constantly get them in trouble? Guard your mouth. Guard your tongue with what you say. Be careful with it. Because your words will get you into that trouble. Know what to say, when to say it, even if to say it at all. Swift to listen, slow to speak, slow to wrath. With that being said, though, now, what happens? Matthew 18 here. We're going to do verses 15 through 20. Fights and arguments are going to happen. You're going to say something you shouldn't at one time. Someone's going to say something to you that they shouldn't have. You're going to get offended. You're going to get bothered. You're going to be hurt. How do you handle it? Matthew 18, verse 15. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he would not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Somebody says something against you, you're hurt, you're bothered, you're offended. The natural reaction to that is you become angry. You're upset. Now, anger in and of itself is not a sin. You have to remember that. Ephesians 4 makes it clear. In your anger, do not sin. You're allowed to be angry. It is what you do while you're angry that determines whether it's a sin or not. So realize that. You're going to get angry. You're going to get bothered by things. But it's what you do while you're angry that determines whether it's a sin or not. So now you're angry. You're upset by what they've said. What do you do? You have to decide right then and there. Do you deal with it? Do you drop it? But you sure don't discuss it with anybody. Remember that. Do you deal with it? Do you drop it? Or do you make sure you don't discuss it with anybody? Now, what we want to do a lot of the times is just drop it. We don't want to get into a confrontation. What's the biblical response to that? Psalm 4.4 says that when you're bothered and upset and you're anger, you're supposed to go into your bed and meditate, it says. Get away. Pray about it. Seek the Lord. Go to Him. This event bothered me. What they said hurt me. I'm so angry. I'm upset. I'm bothered. Fill in the blank. I'm on my bed. I'm sitting there. I get the Bible out. I read. I pray. I get away and pray and meditate on it. I don't go start talking to everybody else about it. I don't start expressing my opinions. I don't say what I think. I get away and pray alone with the Lord. And at that point, I have to make a decision. Deal with it, drop it, or don't discuss it. A lot of times, if I find myself getting frustrated, and if I'm at home, I will. I'll just go into my room, sit on my bed, grab my Bible, and just start reading some Psalms. Trying to calm myself down. Lord, what do you want me to do with this? Because so often we make a decision in the flesh. If we say things we regret, we do things we regret, and it's going to get us in problems. So, we get away, we pray. 
So usually at this point, we make a comment to ourselves of, well, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to let it go. I'm not going to say anything. Amen. If you can let it go, amen. Problem is, a lot of us say that, that we're not going to say anything, but we really don't let it go. See, the next verse in Ephesians 4.26, after be angry and do not sin, the next passage is, do not let the sun go down on your wrath because you give the enemy a foothold. So you choose not to say anything, but now you're still angry. And now that anger becomes bitterness. In Matthew 5, you have hate and anger in your heart. And what does this bitterness do to you? Hebrews 12, please. Hebrews chapter 12. Look at the power of bitterness. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. That's the goal is peace. But look at verse 15. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up become trouble, and by this many people become defiled. See, you think you're letting it go, but you're really not, and it just eats at you. It just eats at you. And all of a sudden, you're upset for a couple hours, now you're upset for a couple days, then it's a couple weeks, then it's a couple months, then it's a couple years, and now you just are so full of bitterness towards that person, towards that situation. But... You did the godly thing by not saying anything, right? No. Satan's got a foothold in your life. And he's destroying you. Have you ever seen that person that's just bitter? There's no joy. There's no peace. There's no nothing. Their life is just being drained from them by this bitterness. In the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8, Paul says that you've been poisoned by bitterness and you're bound by sin. It just destroys you. So, what happens now is we become bitter because we didn't deal with the anger. We thought we could let it go. We can't. But we still haven't said anything. So we finally reach a point of deciding, you know what, I just need to talk to someone about it. Well, this is where Matthew 18 comes in. Because when you choose to go talk to them about it, you have to follow it biblically. Matthew 18 makes this abundantly clear in verse 15. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. Go to him alone. Let me stress that one more time. Alone. This is not go talk to ten people first. This is not get everybody's opinion on what you think you should do. This is not go to that dear sister or brother in the Lord and bounce it off them and say, what do you think? This is you going to that person by yourself, spirit prayed, filled up, ready to go and say, I want to make peace. I'm not going to have a fight. I'm going to make peace. Like it says in Matthew 18, I want to gain a brother. I'm not trying to win the war. I'm not trying to win the fight. I want peace. It says in Proverbs 15 that we're supposed to study how to answer. This is not an emotional response. This is not just a quick fly by the seat of your pants. No, I am prayed up. I'm ready for this. And in the back of my mind, I think of these verses. Proverbs 17, 27. He who has knowledge spares his words. And a man of understanding is of calm spirit. He who has knowledge spares his words. And a man of understanding is of calm spirit. Proverbs 10 says this, In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, he who restrains his lips is wise. You don't need to analyze it from every angle. 
You don't need to talk about every thought and feeling. You don't need to. You need to try to go and make peace. And you sometimes need to keep your words short. Now, I struggle with that. I could have the longest drawn-out conversations to analyze it from every angle, and no good comes out of that. I need to be prayed up and ready to go. Even those verses of one right there we read in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. Dawn and I try to apply that with just us. See, what it says in Matthew 18, go to him and go to him alone. See, we put a little exempt clause in there. Well, I'm allowed to talk to my wife about it first. I'm allowed to talk to my husband about it. I'm allowed to talk to my best friend. I'm allowed to talk to this group of guys that I've known for a real long time, and we just really share things. No, you're not. Go to them and them alone. See, I have noticed that the person that can make me sin the most is my wife. And I can make her sin the most too. Because what happens is we start out and she'll well, come home from work. And be like, what's wrong? Oh, nothing. It was just kind of a rough day. Well, what happened? Nothing. Oh, come on. I can tell something's bothering you. Okay. Well, you know what? This, 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 and this. And then what happens is between spouse, oh, it just starts building up, doesn't it? And the privacy of your own bedroom. Oh, now you're starting to say this and you're starting to say that. See, two things happen. When you start getting that way. Number one, you just start saying so many words you shouldn't be saying. And next thing you know, you start saying things about people that you would never say to them in front of them. But it's okay because it's your spouse. Now, I had somebody come up to me one time after a teaching when I shared that with them. They said, well, they think it's okay. They were joking. Because actually, the Bible says you're one flesh. So it's like talking to yourself. Yeah. Yeah, that person's trying to water down the Bible right there. So what happens is I start saying things I shouldn't say. Or this is the other thing that happens. I open up my heart. I'm frustrated. I'm upset. And my wife has the audacity to disagree with me. So therefore, now I'm upset at her. And I start saying things like, in my flesh, fine, just take their side. You never cared anyway. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. This is between you and the Lord alone. Alone. Let me distress that one more time. Don't bring other people into it. The Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you and direct you. Why, at this point, I usually have somebody say, okay, but I'm nervous. I'm afraid to go up to them. I'm afraid to go up and talk to them. The Holy Spirit's with you. Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. This is not get a group around to go deal with it. This is you go into them, be prayed up, be ready, and to know how to answer. Remember what we read in Hebrews chapter 12. The goal is peace. One-on-one, not to win the fight, not to win the battle, but just to go. So now that you know that that's what the Lord's asking you to do. Now, you can go up and ask for prayer. Keep it generic. Hey, I got a situation I got to deal with. Can you just keep in prayer for me, please? Don't go up and say, well, you know what? i got to go talk to him. Why? Ah, oh, you don't know. I can't believe what he said. What did he say? I said this. Oh, yeah, you need to go talk to him. What do you think I should say? Well, I think you should say this. I agree. And then what's just covered in prayer to make it look spiritual? No. Between you and him alone, let the Lord lead in all ways. Okay, so you got that down. What happens now, though, when you're on the other side and somebody comes up to you and they want to bring you into the situation? They come to you now and they want to say, hey, can I talk to you? Sure. What's going on? I don't know. I just got this situation I'm going to talk to you about. Okay, what's going on? Well, this person did this. And right then and there, you've got to make a decision. What do you do? What do you do? Do you stop the conversation? Or do you let it go for a while? 
What I've been trying to do out here at church is this. If someone comes up and says, hey, James, can I talk to you? Sure. Hey, I got a situation with somebody at church, and I just wondered, I stop, I interrupt. I said, let me interrupt for a second. First off, don't tell me who you have a situation with. I don't want to know. Number two, I don't need to know details. Details do not matter. What matters is this is Matthew 18. Go to them and go to them alone. Do you think you've done something to offend them? Well, maybe, possibly. Well, then, according to Matthew 5, go to them and make peace. Have they done something to offend you? Yeah. Matthew 18, go to them alone. By you and me talking about it. Well, I just want to run it by you. I don't want you to. (laughs) Because that's not going to help. It's not. But the problem is with the flesh, we kind of like to hear it, don't we? Listen to this verse, New Living Translation. Proverbs 17, verse 4. Wrongdoers eagerly listen to gossip. Liars pay close attention to slander. Wrongdoers eagerly listen to gossip. Proverbs 18.8 says this, The words of a talebearer are like tasty truffles, and they go down to the inmost body. Oh, those stories sound so good, don't they? We get sucked into it. It's like having that bowl. I love M&M's. It's like having that bowl of M&M's, and I'm just going to have one. And then it becomes two. So the person comes up and starts sharing the story. It's like that tasty treat. And it's like, oh, just give me one more juicy detail so I know how to pray better. No, the Lord says don't. Don't. Don't get sucked into it. They come to you. They're bothered. They're frustrated. Matthew 18 says you need to go to this person alone and pray. Hey, can I pray for you right now? The details don't matter because the goal is peace one-on-one and when that goal is reached you have gained a brother that's the goal now usually at this time someone will come up and say i know they're not going to listen i know they're not going to listen i know right now if i go up to them and try to have this conversation they're not going to listen the one-on-one thing won't work so I say, you know what? Matthew 18 says we still need to try it. And I said, this is a time to prayer, to be prepared. So pray up, be ready, be prepared. Let the Holy Spirit move, work on their heart. Okay, fine, but they're not going to listen. So they go talk to the person. Guess what? I get a phone ball back and they say, hey, I talked to them. I say, how did it go? And they said, well, they didn't listen. You're right. Some people won't listen. They won't. Romans 12 says, as much as depends on you, live at peace with all people. Hebrews 12 says, pursue peace. You can do everything right and the other person still won't do what's right. They won't. You can't do anything about that. So what's the next step then? So you still have to decide, am I dealing with it, dropping it, but I'm not discussing it. Now, Matthew 18, you bring in some other people. Look at verse 16. But if he will not hear you, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Now you take a couple people with you. Now what is this? This is not a gang up. This is not, I'm going to get people that are on my side so we can all get together and get this figured out and I'm going to make sure we're all on the same team. You're bringing in impartial people to say, would you sit down with us to try to help figure this out? Now that's tough. Because now you have to take a private matter and it becomes a little bit more public. So who do you pick? You pick spirit-filled, mature, born-again believers. That's what you pick. You pick people that seek truth and not just trying to take a side. Because it's not about taking sides. It's about representing truth and doing what the Lord says. Now, these two or three witnesses you bring with you, be very careful. Because you know why? These two or three witnesses may not agree with you. They may listen to the story. They may listen to the other side. 
These two or three witnesses are supposed to be impartial and say, the only thing I care about is what the Bible says. Two great verses in Proverbs 18, if you'd look at them with me, please. Proverbs 18, verse 13. He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. He who answers a matter before he hears it is folly and shame to him. It is folly and shame. It is foolishness and sin for us to hear one side of the story and just assume that that one side is always 100% correct. Well, I don't need to hear anything else. I've known this person since I was born. I trust them completely. You may want to hear the other side. That's biblically speaking. Look at Proverbs 18, verse 17. The first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. Have you ever heard that? You hear the first side of the story, and it's like, I don't need to hear any more. This makes perfect sense. This person is completely wrong. Well, wait, maybe you should hear the other side. Don't need to hear it. Don't need to hear it. Probably about 20 years ago, I got a phone call from somebody talking about how their wife called the cops on them. Okay? Why did your wife call the cops on you? I don't know. She just called the cops on me. You honestly don't know why your wife called the cops on you. No! I was just sitting in my living room reading my Bible. Next thing I know, cops show up at the door. True story. Cops show up at my door. You're just sitting in the living room reading your Bible, and the cops just showed up. I know! Why did she do that? Okay, hold on. Call your wife. Call your wife. Okay, your husband just called. Call the co- I called the cops on him. Why did you call the cops? He said, he was sitting in the living room drunk, screaming Bible verses at me, telling me about I was going to go to hell and be judged, and he started threatening me. First one to plead his case seems right. That's a tough one. Especially when somebody comes to you and they're coming to you thinking, well, you're just going to be on my side. I had a situation one time where a guy called me up, told me the side of the story, and I said, okay, I'm going to talk to the other person. He got mad. Why do you need to talk to the other person? I quoted this verse, Proverbs 18, verse 17. The first one to plead his call seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. You're calling me a liar? You're saying what I'm saying is not true? You're telling me I'm wrong? No, I'm saying the biblical thing is for me to talk to the other person. See, we've got to follow the Bible on these things. We have to. So you bring the two or three witnesses. This is not a gang up. This is not getting people on your side. This is people that are impartial, that want peace. The goal is never to win the argument. The goal is to never win the fight. The goal is to represent Jesus Christ and have peace. How often do we get in discussions where our flesh gets riled up and I just want to win? I tell my kids all the time, it's never about winning. It's never about being right. Now, if you're talking about who Jesus is, if you're talking about biblical matters, hey, fight that. But if it's just life, sometimes you just got to let it go. Because we can win the fight, we can win the battle, but be biblically wrong on how we did it and how we handled it. We need to follow what Matthew 18 says. So fine, you take two or three witnesses, assuming the person's willing to sit down and talk, they won't listen. What do you do then? The Bible has a term for somebody like that. New King James calls it a scoffer. Proverbs 15 says, A scoffer does not love one who corrects him, nor will he go to the wise. A scoffer is somebody, according to the Bible, that's so arrogant and prideful they can't listen to any other opinion but their own. They cannot even imagine not being right. They won't listen. They won't listen to the two or three witnesses. They won't listen to you alone. So what do you then do? You have to come to the church. I always tell people, you don't want to come to the church. Because if you come to the church, that means it's really gotten out of hand. You couldn't settle it one-on-one. You couldn't settle it with a few people. You don't want it to come to the church. 
So then when that person still won't listen, verses 17, he refuses to even hear the church. Let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. That's a very sad situation when peace can't be resolved. The authority of the church has to step in. What does the authority of the church do? Verse 18, assure they say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two or you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm there in the midst of them. Jesus says when you get two or three people together to handle these situations, it's like me being there in the midst of it. Now, verse 20 has been used a lot. It's been used a lot about how as believers, if we just get together, I've been involved in prayer groups before where maybe there's just a couple of us. Hey, if there's two or three gathered together in my name, I'm there in the midst of them. That, that's true. I don't want to take that point away. The context of verse 20, though, is church discipline. The context of this chapter is, listen, if two or three of you get together in the name of Jesus, that you can handle these church discipline issues with the authority of the name of Jesus Christ. But you don't want it to get there. You don't. You want peace. Pursue peace with all people. Hebrews 12. Romans 12. As much as depends on you, live at peace with all people. That's what you want. That's the nature of Jesus. If we were spending all of our time and energy fighting against each other, that doesn't leave any time and energy to spread the gospel. We're just using that time and energy to waste it. Saints having a field day with it. We need to deal with it. Or we need to drop it. But we sure don't discuss it with a whole bunch of people. We don't. And if somebody comes up to you and wants to discuss it, you've got to say, no, 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 I can't right now. In Matthew 18, you need to go to them alone. That's a hard thing to say to a friend. It's a hard thing to say to a spouse. But sometimes you have to. Because I don't want this to get downhill. I don't want this to become a mess that Satan will use where he gets a foothold in there. So fine, you've done all of that. You've done everything you can. Matthew 5, you left your gift at the altar to go to them and make it right. Matthew 18, you went to them alone. You went to them with two or three witnesses. Hebrews 12, you pursued peace. You followed all the passages in Proverbs. You watched your tongue. You watched what you said. They still don't listen. You're still angry. You're still bitter. You're still upset. What do you do then? Then you forgive them. You should have forgiven them at first. But then you just have to reach a point of saying, I've got to let this go. Matthew 18, 21, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. You've got to let it go. You know what the problem with letting it go is? It makes it sound like what they did was okay. It makes it sound like they have no consequences for their words or their actions. It makes it sound like that no one's going to stand up to them, no one's going to tell them they're wrong. The Holy Spirit will. Jesus says he'll take care of the day of judgment. We have, I need judgment now. I need this now. I need you to come with me now. And we're going to deal with this. And we're going to go argue with this person. We're going to make our point. It's like, okay, do you want me to bring stones with me? We can just stone them. We can just take care of it right then and there. Here's the hard part about forgiving. When you forgive somebody, it's not saying what they did was okay. When you forgive somebody, you're not saying what they did deserves no consequences. Forgiveness is you're just letting it go. Forgiveness is you're freeing yourself from the bitterness of that situation. See, we really misunderstand forgiveness. We think when we forgive somebody, it's like, it's okay what you did. No, it's not okay what you did. But I'm not going to let it control me anymore. Great example of that. I love studying out history. I especially love studying out the history of Israel. When Israel became a nation in 1948, and they had their freedom then, it was back during the 50s and the 60s, 
that there was a, a compensation that was going to be given by Germany to, quote-unquote, make up for the Holocaust. Well, there became this huge debate in Israel whether they should accept that money from Germany. And one group said, no. There's nothing that can be said or done to make what they did in the Holocaust okay. We're not accepting the money. The other group of people said, by us accepting the money, it's not making what they did okay. It's being able to move on now. And see, and that's what happens a lot of times with forgiveness. We need to forgive them. And I've said that to people. You need to forgive them. You know what they did to me? No, but you need to forgive them. <sighs> if you would have known what they did, if they would have done what they did to me to you, you would not be sitting here telling me to forgive them. Wait a second. We get to hold on to that? No, we're supposed to forgive. Seventy times seven. See, by Peter saying seven times, he sounded so holy. Seven times? Jesus says, yeah, how about 490? See, if you're into numerology, that shows a bit of completion there. Seven, a completeness there. 490, a complete type of forgiveness. You completely let it go. I don't think Jesus is at all here being legalistic. But I would be honest with you. I met one person one time that literally thought it meant 490. And they keep track. Talk about a legalistic, bitter person. They keep track. Jesus says, no, complete forgiveness. Verse 23, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with the servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. New Living Translation says millions of dollars. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold and his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. Can you imagine millions of dollars of debt being forgiven just like that? That freedom you would feel. Verse 28, But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denaria. New Living Translation says just a few thousand dollars. He laid hands on him, took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet, begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that he had done. Then his master, after he had called him, said, You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? You can see the spiritual analogy. Jesus has forgiven us for everything. Everything. Why are we holding back forgiveness towards anything else, no matter what they've done or said? Verse 34, And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you, Eve, excuse me, will also do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother's trespasses. Somebody has hurt you. Somebody has wronged you. Go back to one of the first verses we said, Psalm 4.4. Go into your bed alone and pray. Lord, can I let this go? Can I drop it? Okay, if you can't drop it, then it's time to deal with it. How am I going to deal with it? My Matthew 18, going to this person alone. They don't listen, taking two or three witnesses than coming to the church. I'm not going to put it all over the Internet. I'm not going to talk about it with every single person I run into. I'm not going to use some disguise of asking for prayer. I'm not going to bounce ideas off everybody. I'm going to take it to them and to them alone, and I'm going to follow what Matthew 18 says. If I can't get it figured out, if there can't be peace in that way, then you know what? I'm going to do what that parable says. I just got to forgive them and let it go. Just got to forgive them and let it go. What I want to finish up with is this. Can you go to Ephesians 4, please? Ephesians 4. Letting it go, forgiving them, frees you. It's not what they did is okay. It's not okay. There will be consequences. The Lord hears, the Lord knows, the Lord sees. Ephesians 4. 
Start in verse 25. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. There you go. I'm going to speak truth. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. We've talked about that one. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give who is need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away with you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. You forgive like you have been forgiven. Matthew 18 sets the order of how believers are supposed to deal with these issues. As Christians, how we're supposed to. Now the sad part is, doesn't work when you deal with the world. It won't work. So you got to remember when you're dealing with non-believers, you can't expect Christian behavior from non-Christian people. They need to come to know Christ first, and then they can go from this route. But for right now, with dealing with believers, Matthew 18, that's the order that the Lord gave. And it works, and we need to follow that. So I don't know if you're here today, and somebody said something against you, and it's really eating at you. It may have been days, weeks, months, years. First off, can you forgive them like Christ forgave you? I hope you can. still may need to be dealt with. If it still needs to be dealt with, you need to decide right there, do I drop it or deal with it? I don't discuss it. I go to them alone. If they won't listen, two or three witnesses. If that don't work, we keep following Matthew 18. Maybe somebody has come to you and asked for forgiveness, but you can't let it go. Free yourself from that bitterness. Realize what Jesus has done to forgive you. Set them free. Forgive them and realize that you can walk free than of bitterness and anger. All that time and energy we put into fighting and arguing and bitterness, it keeps us from focusing on the things that matter most, eternity. That's what matters most. Worship team,